The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a scholar of the law, tested him by asking, Teacher, which commandment is the greatest? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. The Gospel of the Lord. One might well be tempted to ask the Lord, if you can boil everything down to two, then why are there so many other commandments? And so let's start right there. Because on the one hand, love is simple. And yet, as we know all too well in life, love is also very complicated. For something as simple as it seems to be at first feeling and first glance, we find that we struggle to express and to share love correctly or well or effectively. And we often miscommunicate precisely in those moments why we attempt to communicate as clearly as possible. Love is not so simple as it seems at first glance. And so we do well then to follow the trajectory of our Lord's teaching today with regard to the very essence of the law and the prophets, with regard to the very essence of living in communion with God. And the first thing we notice is this. Jesus is asked a question about a single commandment. Out of all of them, which is the greatest? And notice that Jesus doesn't stop at one. He gives us two. And in speaking that way, he clearly identifies belonging to God, loving God with all of one's very being. And again, we pause at that because we like to say that love is a matter of the heart. And note that Jesus is saying, oh, it's a lot more than that. Love is a matter of the thinking. Love is a matter of the speaking. Love is a matter of the feeling, but it's more than feeling. Love is a matter of choosing and deciding. Love is about putting someone else at the very center of things. Not some things, but all things. And so he says the great commandment is recognizing that only one can truly be placed at the center of all things, and that is God. And we should love the Lord our God not simply with feelings, but with deciding. We should love the Lord our God not simply with our emotions, but with our minds and our thoughts as well. And if we, again, pause at that, we understand, because if we really are in love with someone, we think about that person regularly. We decide for that person regularly. 
It is more than merely we feel things about someone. And so the Lord is saying the energy of life runs toward the one that we love. And then he says, and precisely because of that, the great commandment gives birth to a second one. That if, in fact, we are loving God with the primary energy of our living, with our minds, with our hearts, and with our being, there is a necessary consequence to that which we cannot overlook because our relationship with God always has a spillover effect. It is never localized merely between me and God as if nobody else exists. Rather, my relationship with God is in the context of his relationship with everybody else. It sounds so much more complicated when you put it that way. And yet that is the truth. And so note what the Lord says. In a gentler way, but a way that is very consonant with the stern language we heard in our first reading, the Lord says, if my love of God is real, I am going to begin loving all of those others whom God also loves. If I really love any one of you, sooner or later, those that are important to you are going to become important to me. Or my love for you is not very deep or very complete. So note what the Lord is saying. The first commandment gives birth to a second. It necessarily involves a second. Love for God spills out into the world and in a very beautiful way. That way where we learn to fix our eyes on others, not after our own way and our own habits, but after the way God himself begins to do it. This is not a matter of looking at my brother and sister and seeing Jesus in him or her. It's actually something deeper than that. It's looking at my brother and sister in the way that Jesus looks at him or her. What a challenging reality that is. But how important. And so the Lord says, I fix my eyes on the fragile and the vulnerable. I fix my heart on the wounded and the needy. And I expect that you do that too. Note how remarkable that is. And why do we do it? The Lord says, because I do it. Learn to see them as I see them, not as inconveniences, not as annoyances, not as obstacles, not merely as burdens, but as those who are worth the dignity of compassion, care, and in fact, love. That is a remarkable teaching. It is beautiful, it is compelling, and we pause on hearing it saying, yes, and it's so complicated and so hard to do. The simple exercise of looking at that person who regularly stands on my last nerve in the way that Jesus would look at him as opposed to the way I tend to is surprisingly challenging and surprisingly difficult and yet instructive and important. 
the more one's heart opens out to love of God, the more the heart must open out to the love of one's neighbors, one's brothers and one's sisters, and in particular, in moments of genuine need and in moments of genuine fragility. And there is a strong note about that that we are going to begin experiencing over the next several weeks. Because at the risk of stating the obvious, October is almost over and November is almost here. And that is not insignificant, that is not unimportant. Because as we move now into November and out of October, we're entering the final period of the liturgical year where our readings are going to have a certain ultimacy about them. Where we look at the ultimate end of the world. Where we look at and we remind the fact that there is an ultimacy about our lives too. That our time is limited and that it does come to an end. And we contemplate the question of what happens at that moment and where do we go and how do we get there. November begins with the celebration of all of the saints, those who through their faithfulness won the prize and gloriously are enthroned in heaven even now. But even as we celebrate them, we celebrate the teaching that Jesus gave us in this gospel. Because the saints in heaven are not preoccupied with their private, personal glory and happiness, but they're preoccupied with you and your well-being, both spiritual and physical. This is why we turn to the saints and we ask their aid and their intercession because they, as we have quoted on our St. Therese board in the front of the church, are preoccupied with spending their heaven doing good on earth. Glorious in heaven, in the eyes of the world, their lives are over. But glorious in heaven, their lives have truly begun. And they're not lives that leave us behind, but our lives that invest themselves before the throne of God himself, praying so that we might have the grace and help we need to join them there in that glory. Note how marvelous that is. Love of neighbor tinged with the glory of heaven. The world says they've passed away, they're gone, we have no connection. But faith says that is dead wrong. They are very much alive and very much involved, very much concerned with us. Otherwise, it doesn't do a lot of good to name this shrine after Our Lady. And note what we say. Her love for God is so great, it spills into a continual, ongoing, never-stopping love for all of those that God has given her, all of those that her son came to save. If I love God, I come to love those whom he loves. But the very next day, the very next day, November 2nd, this coming Thursday, is the great feast of all souls. And this is where we pause at a reality that we all know. 
because we've all experienced loss in our families, loss among our friends. We've all been saddened by it. And because of the variety of experiences of loss just in our own lives, we can have conflicted feelings when we begin thinking of those who have gone before us. Those opportunities to show love or to express thanksgiving that we missed. And we find ourselves saying, I never had the chance to say what I really should have said. Those moments where we feel cheated because someone was taken away from us before their time. Those moments where we simply have the ongoing feeling of lack of someone I've spent so much of my life with and I'm not sure how to go forward again. And note when we speak that way, the heavy finality that comes with those thoughts. I've missed my chance. He or she is gone. And if we're honest, we have in our own families, among our friends, those whom we love very much, whose lives were neither holy nor completely off course. And we wonder, we wonder what has happened with him or with her. And we pause facing these things. The church celebrates these twinned feast days for a very particular reason because the command to love our neighbor extends to the dead too, not just to the living. Because connected and sharing life in Christ, we are not finally separated from one another, even with the grave. And that is why we pause and celebrate All Souls Day, and All Souls Day is the day that the church reminds those of us who are alive that our relationship with our loved ones who passed away is not over, but it continues. And we can still extend our love for them in very real and concrete ways. And so this is important. Over the first eight days of November, that's why these cards are passed out. We often hear about this, but we seldom have the concrete information in our hands. Over the first eight days of November, November 1st through November 8th inclusive, the church graces your prayers for your loved ones who have passed away. Think about that for a moment. It doesn't matter how long ago they've passed away. It might have been within the last couple months. It might have been years ago. That doesn't matter. Because over these days, Every single day, the church accords these privileges to us. One, on All Souls Day, visiting, just visiting a church or an oratory, it doesn't even involve going to Mass necessarily, going to a church, a chapel, an oratory, like the shrine, taking some time to pray in that space. Note how easy that is one can gain the gift of what the church calls a plenary indulgence for 
a loved one who has passed away. And so now the question is, Father, what on earth is a plenary indulgence? It's this. We're all sinners, right? And when we sin, when we sin, there are two issues that happen. One, there is the need to repent and express our sorrow. And two, let's be honest, when we sin, we always break something. And we learn this in childhood. If I break my brother's toy and I say I'm sorry, that's good. But his toy is still broken. It needs to be fixed or replaced, right? If I take something of yours and I say I'm sorry, that's good, but I should give it back, right? And so note, as we go through life, what happens is simply by living, we accumulate a weight of damage that we've just caused and left behind. Part of the obligation of Christian life is to do what we can to fix that and repair that. You know, and if we've been alive for more than 10 minutes, that might be a pretty big pile. If we don't have that taken care of when our lives come to an end, we're not lost because we've been forgiven. But we still need to be purified of that. We still need to do so. We're still accountable for that unfinished weight that we never repaired. That's what purgatory is for. It's for those of us who were not wicked. It's for those of us who, for whatever reason, for whatever brokenness inside of us, could never quite repair the damage that we've caused. This is why the church recommends penitential practices like fasting and extra exercises and works of charity to undo the negativity that my indifference or my selfishness has left in the world. But the church recognizes this as well. Our Lady, our Lord, the saints, live lives of such great generosity that they didn't just compensate for wrong that they did. In the case of Jesus and Mary, they did no wrong. Rather, it was an excess. It went beyond what they needed to do. And the church has that treasure in its custody. And every now and then, the church takes from that treasure and it makes a gift that it calls an indulgence. And an indulgence takes away some of that mountain of damage that we never fix. That's a pretty good gift. That's a very good gift. A plenary indulgence takes it all away. And so imagine that. That uncle you're, you've been concerned about, that one whom you love who was not a horrible person but could never overcome certain behaviors, and being purified in purgatory, your prayer on All Souls Day could send him closer to heaven or actually get him all the way into heaven. What a tremendous act of love that is. Note how powerful that gift is. And that's the power the church gives to your prayers over these eight days. And so the second opportunity is over the rest of that time, any day, November 1st through November 8th, simply visiting a cemetery, any cemetery. It doesn't have to be a Catholic cemetery. It doesn't have to be the cemetery where your loved ones are laid to rest. 
because for many of us, that might be in another state or even another country. Any cemetery. Simply visiting the cemetery and offering some simple prayers on behalf of all the dead is another opportunity to set a loved one free. We can gain one of those indulgences every day for those eight days. That's eight people. That's eight loved ones. And note how wonderful that is. Because the temptation is to say, I can't do anything for them. And imagine this. Imagine this. That, that one whose life may perhaps have ended in a sad or tragic loneliness. And imagine the fact that as this one appears before the throne of God, however many years in the past that was, he's not there alone because your prayers this November will be there with him. How wonderful would that be? The fact that even that kind of final loneliness is something that doesn't have to be the last word. This is why the days of November are so very important. It's why we wanted to put all of this together for you so that you would have the information you need to do this. Um, the other thing that will be happening here at the Shrine, we've been doing this now for 10 years, is we set nine consecutive days aside in November, from November 2nd through November 10th. And we pray a novena for all of our loved ones who have gone before us. And so we will be reserving the mass intentions for nine straight days. And the intention of all of the extra novena prayers that we'll be saying over that time for the people whose names come back to us written on the novena envelopes. The envelopes are available in the back of the church. You can fill them out right here, drop them right in the basket. And we will include all of your loved ones in those prayers over those nine days. And again, note how wonderful that is. This is why we have mass intentions. And oftentimes our mass intentions are for those who have passed away. Because we recognize it doesn't matter how long ago that was. The prayers we say today for them are effective. Are effective on their behalf and are real acts of love that even on the other side of the veil of death, they can feel, they can know, and they can receive. And each of those acts of love, if it gets them closer to heaven or gets them into heaven, how great an act that is. It's a simple thing. But note how important it is and how seriously the church takes that commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're worried about your salvation and the good of your life, worry as well about your brothers, including the one who has passed on. And recognize that in Jesus Christ, love is always effective. Love is always effective, however complicated it may be. And note how marvelous it is that we reflect on these things here, before this altar. Because on this altar, in just a few minutes, the one who is the victor over sin and death is going to be here. And note how marvelous that is. 
the one who in raising, rising from the dead took our humanity out of the tomb with him. He didn't come to leave us there and to let us be lost. He came that we might have life and have it in abundance, not just on earth, but in the glory of heaven. And what a great thing that is. So I encourage all of you, whether you pray with us here at the shrine or someplace else, literally take a look at your schedule over that first period of November. Try and find some time to come to a church and pray. Try and find some time to simply visit a cemetery, whether your loved one is interred there or not. And then as you think of your loved one and pray, understand you're not reminiscing. It's not just memories. It's real love that really does arrive, really is felt, and really does have a very great effect. Amen.